You're listening to the Family Discipleship Podcast, a podcast of training the church. This is Adam Griffin, and before we get to our topic of the hour, let me first introduce you to my two lovely co-hosts. First, the queen of foodies and families, Miss Cassie Bryant. Cassie, how are you doing today? I am doing great. I had cinnamon. I had cinnamon toast crunch this morning for breakfast. Oh, cinnamon toast crunch. That's fancy. Chelsea, I just feel what like you it's have? so foodie. Chelsea, what did you have for breakfast? Something healthier? Mm, probably cake. Cake. <laughs> Legitimately, you had ice cream cake left over from one of our son's birthdays, if I remember right. I deserve it. <laughs> All right. And that's the first lady of our church, Miss Chelsea Griffin. You doing okay today, Chelsea? <laughs> On top of the world. Well, good. Well, uh, before we kick off this episode about influences, I thought it might be a good question to get us started with. If you could be any TV mom, who would you be? Cassie Bryant, if you could be any TV mom, who would you want to be? I'd be my hero from Golden Girls, Sophia, the mom, like really old lady. Sophia, I feel like she's living her best life. (laughs) Yeah, she's the best. She is the best. She's definitely an Enneagram 8, and she's living with her favorite daughter, who's a grown woman, and all of her girlfriends. And yeah, she's, she's just a lot of hang fun. Out. She's yeah. so much fun. So you want you have one favorite daughter, and you want to live with that one of them for the rest of your life? Is that kind of the idea? All three of my daughters are my favorite. If any one of them would have me live with them and their girlfriends while in their like 70s, and I'm 95. I don't really turn that on you, though. Yeah, he did. He really just wanted a, me to throw one of two of my girls. Yeah. Just throwing down the parent bear trap for later. Uh, Chelsea, oh, how about you? let's hear Chelsea's. It's going to be way better. Oh, I think this is an obvious choice. I think I would love to be Roseanne Barr. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she's awesome. She's telling it like it is. And, Did she get canceled? Uh, well, <laughs> like by culture. I'm like, like Roseanne in the 90s. Uh, I still wasn't, I wasn't but, allowed to watch Roseanne in the 90s. Well, that's yeah. what I was going to say. Instead of having to worry about the content in your kids' lives, you are the content that people have to worry about. You know, it just makes things simple. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. That's so ridiculous. I'm not shocked at all. I feel not shocked at all. I feel I feel very David. shocked. I feel very shocked. <laughs> I, I feel odd. Uh, well, since you girls so care so much about mine, let me give you my answer real quick. If I were a TV dad, I, I have actually put a lot of thought into this since I wrote the question. But you know who my favorite like television movie dad is? Is Dan in Real Life? Is Steve Carell from Dan in Real Life? I think that he's yes. like the sweetest guy. And he's got some hard kids to deal with and a difficult situation. But well, he's the murderer he's, of love. Yes, he's a murderer of love. But he's... I mean, he's if you sharp. know that movie well, you know he's yeah. the murderer of love. I mean, his teenage uh, daughter does not approve. No, but I think it's such a sweet family movie. Well, today we're going to talk about who gets to influence our kids. And that includes movies, TV, internet, phones, people, friends, uh, other adults. So uh, this is a question that every parent asks themselves all the time. Who gets to influence my kids and how do we navigate those influences? I hope it's super helpful for you. I know it's going to be helpful for us. So let's get started. All right, this might be one of the most common questions parents of young children ask themselves and ask their friends. And it's one probably more of us should be asking, especially as we approach the teenage years and you parents of teenagers should be asking all the time. How do you decide who gets to influence your kids and when? Cassie, let's start with you. Outside of you and Eric, what influences do you guys allow around your girls in the Bryant house? Well, I mean, we don't just, it's not even allowing 
certain influences. I think it's that we're seeking out very specific types of influences. We're seeking mm-hmm. out our brothers and sisters in Christ who we love and who love our girls to come in to our home and spend time with our children and influence them. My parents, Eric's parents, we um, desire for their grandparents to be influencing them. Lin-Manuel Miranda, I desire for him to influence. (laughs) He hasn't come (laughs) over yet, but we do listen to a lot of Hamilton and in the Heights. So I think it's that we take influence very seriously in our household and we do the work of trying to seek out some of the best influences we can and put them around our children. That's great. Well, since this is a podcast about spiritual leadership, what what do you think, Cassie? Because you, I know you deal with this with families all the time and the way you lead, but what does determining influences have to do with leading your home spiritually? Well, influences shape us. I mean, they go hand in hand with counsel. Um, influences are telling us what to believe uh, about ourselves, about the world around us, about God. Influences shape our character and our development and our behavior. And so as the spiritual leaders of our homes, we have to be on guard and like considering what those things are that are coming into. I mean, our kids are sponges. So everything around them, they're like, they're soaking it up and they're taking it in and they're being shaped by those things. And we've been given to them as kind of the gateway to choose what voices and influences are speaking in. And then I really think, and we're kind of getting there with our oldest, that as they get older, we teach them how to choose those influences that get to speak into their lives. And so not only in their taste in music and movies and in books that they're reading, but also their friendships and the things that they just kind of surround themselves with. And so we're kind of, I think, beginning the journey of transitioning from constantly guarding them and being the gateway to now shaping how they choose and how they see influence in their life. Can I ask you about that? You say you're teaching them how to do that. How, what does that look like? How do you teach a kid how to choose good friends or how to determine whether or not something is worth watching or not? It's starting right now with our oldest, I think, just by helping her see how things influence her and why she thinks the way she does. I'm teaching her to like observe and notice like, well, how do you feel when your friend says that? Or when your friend tells you, and y'all are talking about that at the lunch table, you know, and just trying to teach her to observe and kind of think back on interactions with both uh, like anything she's reading or listening to or watching. And then also just with her kind of friendships and then teaching her how to like process that and then giving her responses like trying to like uh, fill her word bank, if you will, with like responses to use when she's talking with a friend and maybe something happens that, you know, she doesn't appreciate or feels discouraged by. So we're just trying to like help shape her in that way. So we'll kind of download from her school day and talk about like, well, you know, how did that make you feel when y'all were doing that or when they didn't consider what you had to say there? And so we're just trying to teach her to be aware of those influences and then notice how much they kind of weigh in on her day so that then she can kind of make choices about how she interacts with people around her and who she chooses to spend her time with. I love how that's, that's built good. on the idea that you you and your daughters are having conversations about what's really happening in their lives. And that that's a big part of doing this well is that there's not you're not living completely separate or completely compartmentalized lives. You're trying to process with your kids what's going on in their life. Chelsea, there are a lot of non-Christian narratives, worldviews we encounter all the time. To set us up for the rest of this conversation, what are, what are some of those cultural narratives that don't line up with what we believe that we're trying to help our kids navigate or protect our kids from? Yeah, all of them, basically. Um, <laughs> the, the gospel is so distinct 
and such good news. And it's true, which makes it so different from everything else that's pushed out there. You know, secular humanism is such a popular thing, even where people can't name it. It's this very, you know, neutral idea. We should all be good people, that we are are good people, um, which leaves kids with no explanation for the guilt they might feel when they do something wrong, um, shame that they might feel. It's, it's not true. And that's the problem with it. Another one that I think is more subversive in the church where people don't realize how much it creeps in is that American dream idea Yeah, that like, if you get good grades and you go to a good college and you get a good job and you have enough money, then you'll be safe and you'll be secure and you'll be happy. Yeah. And then it's like twisted into this, like, and that's God's plan for you. You know, and we yeah. see that all the time in youth ministry in a couple ways where like, you know, if you have a kid who doesn't want to follow that exact map, the parents sometimes freak out, like, isn't my kid going astray? And you're like, well, not necessarily. And then the way we see a lot of families, how we prioritize sports. And I think underlying that behavior is the idea that if my kid can just go to college and be debt-free because they got a, a scholarship, then they'll be happy and they'll be safe. Um, and the gospel doesn't promise us safety all the time or comfort. However, yeah. the gospel is true. And that's what we value about it. That's really good. Uh, one of the ones that... um I know that we encounter all the time in addition to, and that, that list you just gave was great. I know it's it's not comprehensive, but those are the, some of the major ones we hit. But one of the other ones I know is just, we're in a hyper-sexualized culture that there's so much that is approaching kids at a very young age about, you know, yeah. how many different forms of families there are and what that can look like and and where that does not align with what God has called us to seek or to be committed to. You know, where the Lord draws a picture of marriage as one long-term monogamous relationship between one man and one woman, and uh, our culture would tell you, no, any consulting adult that wants to do anything different than that is still not only something they're free to do, but something we should all celebrate, is very concerning. It's a very different narrative than I want my kids to think about. And Cassie, we, we in the Griffin House, we have three boys. So the way we think about a hyper-sexualized culture and what they're exposed to in commercials and how that seeks to turn our kids into consumers of, of, of like smut and uh, to objectify women. I, I know we think about those things, but do you think about those things differently as a, as a mother of all girls? What does that look like in the Bryan house? I don't think that we think about them differently just because our, the gender of our children are different. I think that our, my girls might respond differently, you know, to the, than the way boys might respond. I know that it's important for parents of both boys and girls to just be on guard for how the world wants to influence the next generation when it comes to their bodies, sexuality, romance. I mean, with girls, mm -hmm. there's a lot more talk about romance at such an early age. And that can be attributed to maybe Disney or I don't even know. For poor Maven, she was a three-year-old. They were playing Farmer in the Dell and they had a little boy pick a wife. You know, the farmer picks a wife. And that's like what did it, right? So all of a sudden, all these little three-year-old girls are jealous of the one girl that got picked as the wife. And I was like so <laughs> bummed when she came home. <laughs> and that was like... I was like, really? That's going to be, this is going to be what, you know, starts the whole talk about crushes and who each, they want to marry each other. And so it's like started at such a young age of like idolizing relationships and marriage and what the opposite gender thinks about them. And I just was like so surprised and caught off guard by how early it started with this preschool song, you know, that seems so benign, but just prayed and did our best to kind of turn that around and like show her what scripture had to say about marriage and and teacher, you know, that it's not just about a farmer picking a wife. So, 
Hey friends, it's March and that means Easter is right around the corner. In fact, Easter is in March this year. It's part of the reason I'm pumped to tell you about one of our sponsors who's got a really special Easter deal. This is a great time to get some new resources to disciple your family. Our friends over at Lithos Kids are having an Easter basket sale. They've got the brand new Little Pilgrims Big Journey complete box set. It's now available. Guys, I can't tell you how much I love this resource. If you don't have it, you need to go check it out. Kids and parents have loved reading about Bunyan's beloved tale of Christian and his adventure to follow the king's path to Celestial City. And now you can get all three books in one box set along with a map and it comes with a coloring book and the whole thing is just 60 bucks. You can use the code FAMILY10 to get 10% off your entire order at Lithos Kids right now. So what a great discipleship opportunity. To find all this, go to lithoskids.com, see all the items in their Easter promo, including their new release, The Parables of Jesus, and the Kingdom of God Bible Storybook. Guys, we love Lithos Kids. You're going to love them too. Go check it out today, lithoskids.com, and remember the promo, FAMILY10, to get 10% off your entire order. Hey listeners, we live in a world where anxiety, depression, and weariness seem to be the basic descriptors of our lives. For many of us, our calendars and our plates are overfull, yet our lives still lack joy. But it doesn't have to be this way. Jesus invites you to have true and abundant joy that's only found in Him. In John 15, Jesus reveals three very surprising pathways to finding this type of joy. You can discover these pathways in the new book, Overflowing Joy, by author and Bible teacher Tara Dew. This is available at LifeWay.com, and you can save 40% off with the code JOY40. Again, that's J-O-Y, the number four, the number zero, at LifeWay.com. The new book is Overflowing Joy by Tara Dew. Check it out. Well, the way I think about these things, kind of at its most base level, and maybe this will be helpful for some parents, is I think there, there are influences that we teach our kids to engage and think about Christianly, and there's ones that we kind of deprive them of. So I think of it like this. In kind of Christianese or in Christian history, you have monks, which are typically men, but maybe you think about nuns for women. These are people who seclude themselves, who sequester themselves away from the things of the world in order to honor God with their lives. And then you also have this other group of people that we would call missionaries. These are people who intentionally engage a culture that doesn't know God in order that that culture might come to know him. And I think these two categories help me as a parent think about how am I going to parent my kid through these influences? In what areas will we be monks? In what areas will our family go? No, we are going to sequester our kids from that. I don't want them to see it. I don't even need them to know about it. Uh, I can talk about it in theory, but I don't need to expose them to it in order to engage it. And then in what areas of our life are we going to be missionaries? Are we going to say, we're going to be engaging this with you in order to teach you how the gospel speaks into a dark world in a bright way that wants to see things change. So by way of example, I will talk to my boys about pornography. We have had talks about pornography. We'll do an episode in the future just about that topic, but we will engage that topic. But I don't need to expose my kids to pornography. I don't need to expose them to hyper-sexualized images. When, when those things come on the TV, we deprive ourselves of them. And I'll tell you, and this is convictional for me, because in our household, we're a family that's like, hey, boys, cover your eyes. When something comes on TV, we don't want them to see. 
honestly, the conviction is why am why if I think it's not okay for my kids to see it, why would I think it's okay for me to expose myself to it? So honestly, I've tried to think more also for my own heart, my own mind. Where do I want to be a monk? Where do I want to turn the world off from me? And then there's other things, maybe like a in the similar vein, like relationships, where the world might think differently about relationships, and I can expose them to different ideas about this or talk about dating in ways that is different than the world thinks. But we're going to be a missionary when it comes to dating. Not saying we're going to date somebody who's not a believer, trying to lead them to the Lord, <laughs> not missionary dating, but trying to say the world will see this differently and do this differently. You have a chance to be a witness of what it looks like to be a godly man or a godly woman when it comes to this area of your life. And so I think about those two categories as helpful where we don't always flee, sometimes we fight. And we don't always fight, sometimes we flee. And I think that's helpful categories for me. But Chelsea, one of the things I just mentioned we do in our house, we tell our kids to cover their eyes when they see something on a commercial we don't want our kids to see. Do you think there's a, ever a point where that stops, where we help our kids think through the things they hear? Like when, at what age do you start to change those things where you're not just like, they've never seen it, but I want to be able to say, you saw that, let's have a talk about it. I think some things as they get older, the images that we're protecting them from now might not be as jarring or as shocking and it, it might not have this big negative impact for them to see certain things. Like I remember on the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, like the halftime show was very like provocative, very provocative dancing, yeah. you know, and I, at their age, I mean, but to me, I'm like, I don't know if they were 16, I'd still probably be like, okay, we're turning this off, you know, for yeah. a few minutes or whatever. You know what I mean? Some things you're like, you're saying like, they don't benefit you at any age. Right. You know, right. and you know, for me and Adam early in our marriage, uh, remember when we just kind of took stock uh, at a certain point of what we were taking in whether it was podcasts or music or movies or TV shows. And at this point, like there's just not a lot of great TV for us to watch and that's okay. And we realized that we're not missing anything, you know? That's right. I, I get off social media for extended periods and I'm not missing anything. And so it's okay to be different. And I want our kids to understand that. At the same time, we don't have to live in fear. You know, like our kids listen to secular music sometimes and sometimes it's a catchy song and and I don't, I don't mind that they that they hear it or know it, but if they can take in some of the content, I love to talk to them about it and say, did you hear what she said? Is that true? Is that right? You know, what does God say about that? Just to help them to constantly interpret their world through the lenses of the scripture and, and what we know to be true. And I find our kids are, are really good at it because they're not, they don't feel pressure from the culture, right? You know, Oscar saw a special one time about weird sport clips or someplace where they show TV and you can't decide what's on there. And he, he got to see this episode about a boy who became a girl and wanted to run track as a female against other girls. Uh, we got to process it in the car. He was really little and his ideas were really straightforward because he hadn't really been influenced to felt pressure to say anything. You know, I just was asking him gently, you know, if, if you dressed up as a girl, would it make you a girl? You know, and he was like, no, of course not. <laughs> you know, yeah. and it was just easy for him to answer that question. So we got to talk about, you know, sometimes people don't feel happy with the way God made them. And so how can we, how can we show love to people that are different or think differently? Not everybody is aware that God's design is good and that he loves them. And so we got to just talk through that. So it wasn't something that I was like, oh my gosh, we have to cover his eyes. I can't let him know about transgenderism. He was very young and it was, yeah, he was very confused for sure. But at the same time, it was really 
easy to talk with him about some of the most basic concepts there, you know? And so I think every situation is different. And as they get older, you know, there may be more and more exposure, but I still want to train our boys really to, to think about what the scripture says about, you know, placing something vile before your eyes and that, that bad company corrupts good morals. I want us to think about that. And the Bible says that friendship with the world is enmity with God. And so it's okay to be different. It's okay to abstain completely yeah. from some things. We don't live in fear, but it's okay to abstain from some things. I love what you said about like consuming media with your kid. And so that's mm-hmm. kind of like what we try to do if we're watching something, we're doing it as a family. And so that, I mean, I think what, where it gets dangerous is when you are letting your kids have access to a lot of content or exposed to influences that you're unaware of and that you're not helping them process and yeah, it's like the that benefit. PG rating. You got to have that parental guidance. Yeah, yeah <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so I think getting to sit next to them and watch whatever it is that they're interested, it shows them like you're taking interest in something they're interested in. And then to be able to discuss any things that are like teased out that might have a different worldview or might be pressing in and trying to influence them in a way that is just unbiblical. You get the opportunity to like, we're teaching them how to think critically about what it is that they're seeing, what it is that they're consuming, whether it's through thought, like reading or music or whatever. And so that's just a huge part of training up our children, right? Is to mm-hmm. is to be doing that with them and not just checking websites and making sure something's okay and then letting them watch it all on their own. Like that, feel, you know, that's just very different. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I think I love that your sports clip story, just because it's such a good example of what I admire so much in you as a mom. And I get to see all the time is that I know, I know even the temptation in me that when something like that happens, it feels like it could be awkward. It could be hard. There's a desire sometimes to distance or pretend it didn't happen or just change the channel. And you are so good at just engaging our kids and reminding them that you are an authority on these things because you know the living God and the way he has spoken into these. This is not like, oh, we're afraid of what the world sees and what the world thinks and what the world's doing and we'll just just try to escape it. But some, you're, you're training our boys to engage in these things and think about them biblically. And I think you're so gifted at it. And I think too, Cassie, what you were just saying, I want to mention too, I, I try to be really careful before we watch anything with our kids. If you're talking about media and TV, we go to IMDB and read the the parent guide there. I, I do that for myself. Chelsea and I have some very simple rules where like we don't watch other people undress in any circumstance, be it on a computer or a movie or in real life. And so if that's listed on what's going to be in this movie or TV, then it sounds like it's not going to honor my God to watch it. So why would I watch it? But in our culture, we excuse a lot of things that honestly could be categorized as pornography, but because it's got a plot and dragons in it, people are like, no, it's not pornography. It's it's a great plot and it's a great story about castles. And That feels like, pointed. <laughs> well, dragons. How are we going to fit in if we don't know are what you're talking about? How to train a to? dragon? I feel like you're talking about how to train a dragon. Yeah, that's it. How to tra- that's Three the big problem movie in our culture. No, I, I think there's a lot of easy examples of things that Christians excuse for adults, but we would never let our kids watch. And I think the question we should be asking ourselves is if it's not okay for a child, why is it okay for any child of God to be partaking in as an influence? And if I want to guard my kids well, I should also think about guarding my own heart well. And I want to I switch gears here a little bit because I think one of the other big questions that we hear a lot from parents is how does this impact the choices we make about smartphones, about even the devices that give us access to things. Mm. And I, similarly, I think a parent should be asking themselves, how am I modeling my use of my smartphone for my kids? It's not just a question of should my kid get a cell phone or not, but it's 
how do my kids see me use myself? I, a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago, Gus, our middle child, he said, I don't, I don't know if parents really sleep or if they're just on their, on their phones all night. Because when he comes in the morning, he'll see me scrolling on my phone. And I think he's just going, oh, dad must be doing this all the time. But Cassie, help us think through this. What should our practice as Christian parents be around smartphones? Not just whether kids get them, but how they see us use them in their presence. Oh, it's like a love-hate relationship, the smartphone. I mean, first of all, I think smartphones for children are a terrible idea. I think, and we're not there yet. Our kids aren't asking for phones. So I have a feeling it's going to be like one of those things that I said, you know, before I even had kids, like I'll never let my kids eat sugar or something ridiculous like that. And then I have kids and now they get to eat sugar. <laughs> um, and so I don't want to say like we will never, because I just... I don't know. I don't know what's going to come down the road for us as we get our kids become teenagers. We do have a pact with some friends of ours and their kids. It's like, we are not going to do this. That way, when they come home and say, well, all my friends have one. I'm like, well, no, we can name like eight other little girls that do not have phones, you know? That's a good idea, family Yeah, so it's like, we're going to do this in community, right? And so um, I just think the statistics are out there for how bad it is for them. Their little brains are developing and to give them a device that gives them constant connection with friends or online like criticism, especially with social media. I mean, it's just like all the science is there to tell us that it's not a good idea. And yet 95% or something like that of teenagers have smartphones. And it's yeah. just, I don't understand it. I don't and understand. it's not like there, there's no options, right? You know, right. there, there, there are some options. other choices to communicate with your kid. And uh, I know a lot of us who have iPhones really don't like for a text message to be green, but I think we can <laughs> we yeah. can surrender that. We can let that die, you know? Yeah. We really can. Yeah. And then as for like parents on their phones, I mean, I think it's just, it's something else you're stewarding throughout the day. The same way that you're stewarding food and your health and mm-hmm. all these other things. I mean, your kids are watching us. And so if we see technology as a gift, something that can be used to love God, love people, then how are you using it that way? And then how are you, how is it controlling you then? Like, how have you become addicted to it? And so, especially around the pandemic, we're on our devices so much during the pandemic because we're working from home. It's our kids are seeing us at home on our phones, on our laptops. They don't know what we're doing. They don't know what's email or if we're on Instagram or, you know, they just see us with a screen. And so we tried to be very intentional about like, mommy's working, daddy's working, like, or this is our time to work. Actually, for the first few weeks, I made like a, I'm working crown so that they wouldn't interrupt me. So if I was wearing the crown, they knew, please don't interrupt me. And then if I was taking it off, it meant like, I'm not doing anything important. You can interrupt me. Um, but yeah, I try to just be, if I pick up my phone in their presence, I'm, I'm going to try and be intentional and tell them like, this is what I'm going to do. Can you give me five minutes to respond to these text messages or to do this thing. And so that they don't think that I am avoiding them in some way yeah. to, to do something that just makes me feel good or passes the time or something. That's yeah. good. I, that makes me think of one of my favorite stories from Jen Wilkin, who we'll have on next week's episode uh, to talk about what the discipleship has looked like in her home. But she tells a story about when one of their kids came home and said, very similar to what you just brought up, Cassie, said, all my friends have phones. Can I please have one? And she said to him, uh, you know that feeling you have right now where you feel different? And these are not her exact words, but this is the story as I remember it. That feeling you have right now where your your friends all have something and you don't. And she said that feeling, you're trying to make it that the excuse of why your dad and I should get you one, but your dad and I are trying to cultivate that feeling. Mm-hmm. We want you to feel different. We want so our family to be countercultural. And so you want to fit in. We're trying to help you be ready not to. And I think yeah. that's such a better way for Christian parents to think about these things. It's not, 
It's not how can I make sure that my kid is not looked down upon by his peers. It's how do I prepare a kid who's ready to be resilient in following Christ no matter what? Well, it's not going to be in conforming to every little thing that all his peers are doing. And at the same time, as much as we can try to monk or missionary our way through influences, to some degree, if other parents are not in the family pact, if other parents are not on the same page we are, our kids will be influenced by their friends or have access to things we don't want them to have access to or interact with other worldviews because they're going to have relationships outside our house. Cassie, how do we, how do you prepare a kid to be countercultural in their relationships? Oh man. I mean, it's a great question. I, Romans 12 comes to mind about brotherly affection and, and loving with genuine love and serving one another and outdoing one another with honor. And so it's like, if those are the type of friends we want to be raising in our children, then I want them to acknowledge that those are the quality, like that's the characteristics of friends that they are seeking out and that we're told to love our neighbor. And so I think that's something that, you know, we want our kids to love all of their neighbors, like all of their classmates, all of their, all of our kids in the neighborhood. But friendship feels like that's different than just loving your neighbor, right? That's choosing people that you're putting around you for a season. And, and friendships change, obviously, circumstances change, but it's choosing those relationships around you that are going to edify you. They're going to sharpen you. They're going to challenge you, encourage you where you get to serve and you get to love and outdo with honor. And so, I mean, we're just now getting into all of those things with our oldest where she's having like best friends and girlfriends. Like, I mean, it's even on play dates now. It's like just getting to hang out and they're playing volleyball and like things like that. And so, I'm just trying to coach her when it comes to Romans 12 about like, what are the qualities of a friend and like, how do you be that to them? But then how do you put people around you that will be that for you too? That's good. I I do think helping your kids make good friendship choices is secondary in some ways to what you're talking about, Cassie, helping them be the kind of friend that you'd want other, other kids to have. And I think that's part of what we're doing to sharpen them is not just uh, you know, as a student minister, I used to hear from parents all the time who would drop off their kids at student ministry and say, I just want my kid to have good Christian friends. And I would tell them, listen, there's probably 10 other families here hoping the same thing. And their kids may be <laughs> twice as lost as yours. And so I can't promise you that your best friends are going to be at church or that they'll be the best influence. But I can tell you that they can interact here with people and they will find community and community is messy. Chelsea and I have been in the same home group for over a decade And I'll tell you, people come and go, and sometimes they come and go because they've wandered from the faith. Sometimes they come and go because they have uh, uh, left the church. And sometimes, Mm -hmm. man, just doing community with people going deep, it's messy as an adult. It can also be messy for kids. Like, it it is hard to be a kid these days. So that's that's friendship choices. If that's uh, friendship discerning. Uh, Chelsea, help us think about content. How do we make content decisions for our kids when it comes to influences. You mentioned they listen to secular music. Uh, One of our kids said to me this week, dad, there's no such thing as too much weird Al, which I don't know if that's a content decision I want. I'm going to have to disagree with it. (laughs) (laughs) But Chelsea, how do we make uh, content decisions for kids? I mean, we've touched on some of it. There's some practical things. We like to look up the focus on the family plugged in review before watching a movie we haven't seen. If we want to have like a movie night with our kids or um, reading up on stuff like that. To me, I think about 
like what's teachable? So just because something is is not true or, ne- or not biblical doesn't mean my kids can't be exposed to it, right? Because we live in a broken world. So a lot of movies, you know, make a point of something that's not necessarily true. And I love getting to talk through it with our boys and say, you know, does that line up with what Jesus says, you know, and just talking through those things with them. So, but of course, where where content is just straight up sinful or has the opportunity to, you know, traumatize our kids. Like, I don't know, the way I feel about a lot of violent imagery, I just think like, how could this possibly be helpful? And the amount of violence that we see in our world, like I don't want to make it normal for our boys to just see people killing each other, you know? So we're not super anti-video game. I'm like 80% anti-video game, but I never want our kids playing video games where they have to go around and like kill people and stuff. And maybe that's, you know, hyper-protective and maybe I'll come down from it, but I don't love it because right now in America, it's it doesn't even catch our eye anymore for a headline to say that someone took a gun into a public place, opened fire and, and killed innocent people. Um, so I don't understand how that could be entertainment for us in our home. Right. So some places we just draw a line. And I think those are individual convictions where I don't get to judge anybody else and I don't have to. God doesn't put that burden on me, but then I am entrusted with my children. So then some things I'm just going to say, oh, that's an absolutely not for us. And yeah. and some things we'll work through it and talk through it. But pornography, violence, you know, stuff like that. It's just no, absolutely not. I love too about uh, being married to you. I get to see some of the sensitivities you have that I didn't recognize in some of the content that is uh, peddled to kids. You know, when we were growing up, it was like pollution is the worst. Now it's like sugar is the worst. But there's also just a great degree of snark and sarcasm, especially in shows designed for young boys. Spider-Man. Spider-Man in particular, he's a very snarky superhero. and He's so sarcastic. He's insulting to everyone all the time. And so it's supposed to be cute and clever, but I don't think about that. And your ability to process with our kids what they're hearing, what they're seeing, I think you're so good at it. But violence and snark are not usually things that people are looking at the IMD parent report and seeing like, oh, how much snark is in this? But I think it's important. You know, we deal with a lot of kids who feel entitled. Well, what what are they watching that's convincing them in this consumeristic culture, the commercials they're seeing, that they won't be happy unless they get something? I should also point out too, there's there's actually a greater and greater degree of good Christian content out there. We're not just like trying to to guard and decide secular content, secular influences. Obviously, we want our kids to have Christian community in real life, but there's also good Christian content out there. When I was growing up, it was like McGee and Me or VeggieTales. Those were like your choices. Uh, now there's, uh, right now media has a long list of kids programs like allegories or our kids love, uh, what's the show they love? Superbook, which is, uh, kind of a, a Bible story with a robot in it. Now there are still, Chelsea's been really good at helping me see too, how like shows like Bible man are still very legalistic. It's like, Hey, God just wants you to be good. And so even shows like that, we don't just sit our kids down in front of them and say, there, you're going to learn the Bible from this TV show, but we help them. One thing too, you mentioned video games, movies, TV, we mentioned friends, we mentioned phones. You know, what's really hard for me as a parent now at this age, my kids are big readers, is finding good books and knowing what the content is before I hand it to them. Whether that means I read it through first or ask somebody like Cassie Bryant, who knows a lot of these things. What books should my kids be reading? And there are some great new series based on the Bible, which are really wonderful. I think of like the Wing Feather Saga. I think of the Green Ember, Prince Warriors, some yeah. newer series of books that our kids love. And we'll put some of those in the show notes. 
but are great opportunities for parents to talk to their kids about what we believe. Cassie, Chelsea, how do we develop a family where we, the parents, we've talked about this just a little bit, but help us think intentionally. How do we become the safest people for our kids to ask about the things that they're seeing or hearing when we're not around them? You know, when they are just mm-hmm. around their friends at school or uh, when they uh, see something on TV and we're not around or they read it in a book and we're not around. How do you guys think we can foster an environment where they come and ask us? Practice your reactions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that you don't like seem shocked or keep shame on them or make them feel embarrassed. So I think, I mean, yeah. like they can read it. They can see it on your face. They can see it. They can hear it in your tone of voice. And so I don't know that you should stand in front of the mirror and like imagine the worst thing you'd hope not to hear from your kid's mouth and just check your reaction or anything like that. But I think it's just think through, I mean, prepare for all the variations of what they might come to you with and just be ready, uh, mm-hmm. be on guard and be ready and and trust the Lord. And I think entering into those conversations with a lot of hope that, you know, you can't, we can't protect our kids from everything. It's just right. not possible. So they're going to go to school. They're going to play at friends' houses. They're going to play with neighbors, like whatever it is. They're, I mean, they're going to stumble upon something. And so what we can do is teach them to respond in a healthy way and ask for help and position ourselves in a place where they can trust us to ask yeah. for that help and not, no, I'm too busy for that. Or or we sweep it under a rug or, you know. Yeah. I, th- I think the key there, what you said about trusting the Lord is critical because I, you know, I was going to say, man, you got to play it cool, right? You got to fake it till you make it um, <laughs> and pretend that what they just said was not shocking. But the reality is I shouldn't be shocked, right? Yeah. And I shouldn't, like if they were to come home and say, mom, I, I saw this type of picture or someone showed me this or someone said or did something that makes me want to have an audible gasp. If the root of that is like this overwhelming fear I have that my kid will be ruined, you know, that it will be some disaster that the Lord can't redeem. The real problem there in my reaction is the fact that that may be somewhere I don't believe that the Lord could protect them, could redeem a situation. All of us have been exposed to things one way or another that, that weren't good for us. It hasn't made us unredeemable. It hasn't made us covered in shame, right? And so when our kids come to us, I want them to see over and over and over that I'm just going to be someone they can talk to, that they can trust me, that they don't have to be afraid, and that they're not going to be in trouble, and I'm not going to lose my mind. Even if the reaction is not at them, it's still still having a big emotional reaction can make them feel fearful of coming to share something. And, you know, Adam and I both used to teach high school, and kids would tell us anything as high school yeah. teachers, you know? And then we're like, okay, well, did you tell your parents? And they're like, no, I'd never tell my parents this. And we're like, oh gosh, you know? And, and so kids really do want to hear an adult perspective. They do want guidance. They want to share it with someone, but they're going to choose someone who they think is safe. Yeah. yeah. That also speaks to the importance of those secondary influences. So mm-hmm. if there is, for whatever reason, you know, that my girls don't want to come to me, then I pray that they would go to their leaders at church or a teacher, a trusted teacher, or like someone, the other influences we put in their life that we trust to be mm-hmm. a voice that would point them to the yeah. gospel. And there's a lot of areas in your kids' lives where you do have choices about which adults you put around them. The church being one of them to an extent. You're saying this is the place where we're going to be in community with these people. Sometimes you get to make a school choice for your kids. What kind of teachers are we going to put around these kids? You may not get to pick the individual teacher, but you you pick that school. One of the big ones that we haven't talked much about is you get to pick, if your kid's going to be in sports, especially when they're small, 
what team are we going to sign him up for? And I want to know which coach is coaching. And there are some coaches that are, are teaching a worldview about sports and about competition and about the way we treat other people that do not align with my family. And so I'm not interested, even if my kid wants to play, I'm not interested in that guy influencing my kids. And there are some things that I know I'm more monkish about because in my ministry as a pastor, I have seen the horror stories of uh, what happens hmm. at sleepovers, what has happened at overnights, what has happened on sports teams. And I've seen the abuses of access that adults have had to kids that shouldn't have had adult uh, access to kids. And so I, I know that I'm more sensitive about this than others, but I think a big part of that is because I've seen all of the worst possible scenarios. Now, I'm not saying we should be fear-mongering, the sky is falling, Christian parents who never let our kids out of a bunker we built in our backyards. But I am saying if, my, if one of my number one tasks is to raise this kid spiritually and I want to have them serve Christ, then I am going to be thoughtful and wise about who I'm putting around them and how they align with me. But I also don't want to send my kid off to college one day having never interacted with an idea uh, that he'll have to differentiate from the Bible. Like I want to teach them the Bible, but I also want to teach them right. what are the other worldviews? How else are people thinking yeah. about these things? And so he's not going, hey, my dad, my mom, they never mentioned this. They must have been afraid of this question. I'm going, no, our, our family's never mm -hmm. afraid to talk about any of this. And part of what you mentioned earlier, Cassie, I want to ask my kids good questions. Let them know, like, I want to engage what they're engaging with. Well, I want to, I want to close out here in just a second. But before we do, Chelsea, is there any guidance you can think of uh, from God's word about regarding influences that'll help guide us as we close this out? We've mentioned a couple tonight. Romans 12 talks about being transformed in the renewing of your mind and not conforming to the world. And so kind of like what Jen Wilkin was saying to her son about a cell phone, we want to start so early and just reiterating and making that so normal and something our kids can cope with, that they are different. They are set apart, right? And the scriptures say that, that we are set apart as God's holy chosen people, right? And Jesus says specifically to, to a group of people, he says, how can you believe when you seek glory from other people? And that's a big part of of the desire to fit in, the desire to conform, is that we want to be exalted by others rather than than seeking acceptance from God. Obviously, we get our acceptance from God mm. through Christ, but but you know what I'm saying? That mindset of rather than saying I want to please God, saying I have to fit in with others, and yeah. Jesus calls that out gently in people. But He does say there's no way you can have a genuine faith and have the focus of your heart be seeking glory from other people. And so the scriptures are super clear about this. I want our kids to be, for it to be such a normal part of their life over and over and over again, that we just don't, we don't fit in. We don't do everything everybody else does. We don't Amen. have everything everybody else has. And that's okay. So that by the time they're an adult, if they have saving faith, if they have a regenerated heart, they're going to be able to cope with the consequences yeah. of following Christ. Amen. Yeah. We want resilient kids who are relentless in following Christ, regardless of what the world would say and able to distinguish between what is true and what is not. And so yeah. with that, we're going to be wise about uh, who gets to influence our kids, but we're also going to be wise about wielding the influence we have. So, amen. Well, if you want to join the conversation, you can find us on social media. Thanks for listening so much. And if you think that discipling your family is as important as we think it is, will you please give us a great review wherever you listen to the podcast and share this episode with one of your friends. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you soon. 